Amen. Today I'm going to talk about the biblical man. That's our focus for this year. The biblical man and his salvation. And, and really on this entire subject, I just have one question. Uh, and that question is this. Are you saved? Are you saved? Most important question you can ever confront. Most important question that you can ever have an answer for, an answer to, is the question, are you saved? Uh, the statistics say, and it's the most recent statistic, 2015 Gallup poll says of Americans, 75% would say, yes, I'm saved. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's down from 80% in 2008. Uh, that's down from over 90% in 1950. But still, 75% of Americans today, if you were to cross our nation, and if you were to ask them, are you saved? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Uh, the statistics say 75% would say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll tell you my personal experience in our area, in our local area here in Vernon, Texas, uh, it's probably a higher number of people that would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. As I go visit folks, as I'm out in town, as people come into our church, uh, if I were to ask them, do you have a relationship with Christ? Are you saved? I would say over 85% uh, in our local context would say, yes, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, to say in this room I believe it would probably be even higher. If we were to say, you know what, are you a Christian? Just ask as you came in the door, uh, are you saved? I believe it might be as high as 95% in this room and say, yes, uh, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And yet, with those statistics, with those thoughts, uh, the same surveys tell us that less than 25%, and really it's, it's 23%, of those who have said that they are saved could tell you biblically, could tell you according to the Bible what that actually means. And so think about that. In, in our nation, from anywhere from 75% to, to maybe this room, 95% of folks would say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but only 20-something percent can say this is what the Bible actually says that means. Well, that means this, there is a big disconnect between people saying I'm a Christian and people actually knowing what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so that brings us back to the question today, for us, for you, where you sit today, are you saved? Now first, let me tell you a couple of things that being saved is not. And these things are from my personal experience as I, as I visit with folks. Uh, these are some things that being saved is not. Now understand this. Being saved is not going to church. Being saved is not going to church. When I visit people, hey, I want to talk about Christ. I want to talk about your relationship with Christ. And they'll say, yeah, we need to get back into church. Hey, we were just thinking about coming back to church. Uh, being saved has nothing to do with your church attendance. Going to church does not make you saved. Another thing, uh, being religious or doing religious things does not make you saved. That doesn't mean you're saved. Uh, well, we go here on Easter. We, we do this on this particular holiday, and we've, we've got a cross up in our house, and I've, I've got cross jewelry that we wear. Maybe we've got a, a giant uh, Bible that was my grandmother's, and it's laid out on the coffee table. Being religious and doing religious things does not make you saved, does not mean that you're saved. 
Something else. Uh, following a set of rules does not make you saved. Now, there's a Christian code of ethics. There's a, 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 a biblical moral code. And the Bible says, you know what? These are some behaviors we ought not do as people that try to honor God. But there's people that act like, you know what? I'm living according to this standard, to this moral code. And so, therefore, I must be saved. I'm living like a Christian. I'm trying to act like a Christian. Well, guess what? Following a set of rules does not make you saved, does not mean that you're saved. Here's a big one. Being a good person does not mean that you're saved, does not make you saved. Now, there's, there's a, a thought, and I believe it's really pretty common, that you know what, good people, all good people, God loves them. He loves these good people. He's not going to judge them. He's not going to send them to hell. And so being a good person must mean that you're saved. Now, I'll talk to people, and they'll say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I haven't done the things that that person has done. I haven't been involved in those things. And so I'm better than most people. So that must mean God is pleased with me, that I am saved. Or, or sometimes I do funerals and, and, and you do the funeral and the only thing they can say about the person is, is not that they had a relationship with Jesus Christ, not that they had a vibrant faith that you could see they were abiding with Christ. All they can say is, man, they were a good person. Boy, weren't they a good person. They would have given you the shirt off their back. Well, guess what? Being a good person does not make you saved, does not mean you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the number one thing that people say to me. Praying does not mean that you're saved. Praying does not make you a follower of Jesus Christ. A lot of times, again, in the discussion of life, I'll talk to folks and ask them, do you have a relationship with Christ? And they will say, yes. I pray. Yes, I'm praying. In fact, my grandmother's sick, and we were just praying this morning. Or, or you know what, when, when things are bad, yes, we go, and we know who to turn to, and we spend time in prayer. Well, I'll just tell you today, Muslims pray. Lots of people pray. Praying, as we found out in our study on prayer, does not mean uh, that you're saved. None of those things make you saved. None of those things mean that you're saved. Now, before we get to the, to the real stuff today, let me just tell you what it means to be lost. And I think in our culture, we've lost really what it means to be lost. We're not really comprehending that. People aren't preaching that. People aren't saying that. Uh, a couple years ago, it was about two years ago, I was visiting on Monday night, uh, and I came across a person. We're talking about uh, their faith and their relationship with Christ, and I, and I asked them if they were saved, and they actually said, saved from what? What would I be saved from? What does that mean to even be saved? And so uh, we need to understand what it means to be lost. Understand today. Let me just tell you a couple things what it means to be lost. To be lost means that your relationship with God is severed. Your relationship with God, because of sin, He's holy, He's perfect, we're not. Because of our sin, our relationship with God is broken. It means this. When you are lost as a lost person, you are not in fellowship with God. You're separated from God. Um, I think we know that, and I think our hearts tell us that. And, and so I think we think, you know what, there's, there's something missing, and, I, and there's a God that created me, and I'm created to be in fellowship with Him, but that's not right. 
And say, you know what, I'll, I'll go and I'll become involved in this and I'll, and I'll, I'll party enough that things get right or I'll, I'll have all these relationships and I'll do that enough that things will get right or, or I'll make enough money when I do that, things will get right. And the whole problem is, you know what, as a lost person, the problem is the thing that you're feeling is your relationship with God is broken. In fact, it gets worse than that. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says, if you're lost as a lost person, you are an enemy of God. Now, I think we want to say, well, no, I, I'm kind of neutral. I'm for me. I'm not worried about that. You know what? As a lost person, the Bible says you are opposed to God. You're an enemy of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't need any enemies. Some, somehow they just pop up sometimes. But I for sure do not need the creator God of this world as an enemy. Yet as a lost person, because of my sin, that's what I am. I am an enemy of God. That's what the Bible says. What does it mean to be lost? That's what it means. What does it mean to be lost? It means that you are guilty and you are condemned in your sin. You're lost, you're guilty, you're condemned in your sin. John chapter 3 uh, verse 18, we know John 3.16, but John 3.18 says, you know what, as a person, you're not waiting on a trial. You're not waiting on a verdict to come in. John 3.18 says, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. That means this, you're guilty before God. Because of your sin, right now, you're declared guilty before God. You're not waiting on the judgment. The judgment's already occurred. You're condemned already. You're waiting on the punishment. Bible says we're already, as a lost person, dead in our sin, headed for an eternal death. As a lost person, you're condemned and you're guilty before God. What does it mean to be lost? And let me just tell you this, and I, and I just tell you not too many people are going to say this today. Not a popular thing to say today. And I, and I go a lot of places and I'm not hearing this very much. Listen to Christian radio. You're not going to hear this, if at all. As a lost person, listen to this. You're headed for hell. As a lost person, you're headed for an eternity in hell. Now, Jesus said that. Uh, the Bible says that. God's Word says that. So you know what? As people that are going to follow Christ, going to live by the Bible, we have to start saying that. You know what? That's offensive. You know what? That's, that's confrontational. But that's what God himself said. As a lost person, your destination, where you're headed is for an eternity in hell. Now, there's some folks today, and, and you may know some of them, and they think, you know what? When I die, I'm just going to cease to exist. Nope, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you're going to spend your eternity in two places, in fellowship with God in heaven or separated from God in the eternity of hell. There's people thinking, you know what? It ends at the grave. It ends at the grave. I want to tell you, if you're going to hell, you're going to wish it ended at the grave. There's people that say, you know what? Uh, and I actually went to a funeral service and I heard, I heard a guy, and I'm not going to call him a preacher, but he, he was acting religious. And he said, when you die, you're released into the greater existence. When you die, you become part of the great existence. And he was actually in a church building and he was acting like he was, he was, he was speaking God's word. But I want to tell you, that's not in the Bible. That's pagan. That's absolutely absurd. You're not released into the great existence. You're going to spend eternity with God in heaven because of Christ or you're going to spend it separated from him in the reality of hell. Listen to some verses. I just preached on these a couple Sundays ago. Luke chapter 13, 
verses 24 through 28, says this, Jesus is speaking. Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, there's going to be a day it's too late. And you will begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. And then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you're from. And then you'll begin to say, we ate and we drank in your presence. And you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you're from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. Listen to verse 28. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being thrown out. The book of Revelation, verse, chapter 20, verses 14 and 15 says this. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of the fire, This is the second death, the lake of fire. Verse 15, and if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Chapter 21 of Revelation says that lake of fire burns with, that lake burns with fire and brimstone. That's not an angry preacher's word. Well, that's an angry preacher. What's he mad about? That's not some judgmental church. Look at this judgmental church. That's what the living God himself has said. So you know what the question is for us today? In fact, it's the question for all people that are breathing today. It's this. So are you saved? Are you saved? Let me just tell you today, you can know that you're saved. Some people act like, well, I don't, I don't know if I really know. Uh, Bible says you can know. In fact, God intends for you to know. You wouldn't have peace on li- in this life if you didn't know you were saved. You can be sure that you're saved, and it can be settled. Let me tell you this, in this room today, and I, I was thinking about this in the middle of the night last night, there are some men here today that they would say, yes, I'm sure I'm saved. I'm sure that is settled. And I, I'm sure that whatever happens right now, that, that my condition is, is the righteousness of Christ because of the sacrifice of Christ. And I believe there's men in this room that could say, yes, I'm sure that I'm saved. But I also think there's some here that would say, you know what, today... I don't really know. I'm not real sure about that today. I would hope that I am, but I'm not real sure about that. And they would say, you know what, maybe maybe at some time in the past, I remember uh, in the eighth grade we all did this, or when I was in vacation Bible school, and there was a time that that maybe I thought something. But, But they would say, you know what, today I'm not sure if I'm saved. And I believe there's some in this room today that if they were honest and, and, and they were, would, would reveal their heart, would say, you know what, honestly, I'm probably not saved. I'm probably not saved. Let me tell you something. Last night in the middle of the night, I woke up and I prayed for all of those folks. I prayed that God would make it clear today that those that know they are would have a peace and a surety. Pray for those that aren't sure that they might sell it today. Pray for those that say, no, I, I'm pretty sure I'm not saved, that today they would hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. My greatest privilege as a servant of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to tell people, to tell you what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how I'm going to wrap this up today. We're going to be sure. Truth of the matter is this. Listen to me. You cannot be saved on your own. I cannot be saved on my own. Now, there's a whole bunch of religions that say, if you'll do these things right, you'll tilt the scales and you'll be saved. That's not in the Bible. You cannot be saved on your own, but I want to tell you the good news of Jesus Christ is this. So God made a way. 
That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we're excited as followers of Jesus Christ. That's why we have joy as followers of Jesus Christ. That's why we come out of a funeral and we still have hope as followers of Jesus Christ because I couldn't be saved on my own, but God himself made a way. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's not a goofy verse written in end zones of football games. That's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You couldn't be saved. I couldn't be saved. And God himself made a way through his son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to show you. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? I understand that. What does that mean? I'm going to show you the verses I believe are the clearest explanation of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. These, these verses are in Romans. Verses I found about 12 years ago, and I marked them in my Bible. And if I'm going to tell you what it means to be a Christian, these are the verses I'm going to show you. I'm going to work through them very quickly. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What that verse means is this. All people have sinned. All people have sinned. The Bible says our best deeds are but filthy rags in the sight of our pure and righteous God. You know what? All of us have sinned. Let me tell you this. A lot of times church people have done a pretty good job of acting like your sins are worse than my sins. You know what? What you've done, man, that's, that's not anywhere near, but I've done a lot better things than you. I've lived a better life. You know what? We've done a pretty good job of acting like, well, you're, maybe you're beyond repair. That person's beyond hope. I want to tell you that verse says this. All people have sinned. That is what the Bible says, Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23, and it tells us what the result of that is. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin. The first verse said we've all sinned. The wages for having sin, if you work 20 hours, you're due 20 hours wages. We're really not using that word much anymore, but that's the payment for having sin. What you've received, what you've earned, by having sin, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Now what that means is this, all of us have sinned. The payment, the penalty for sin is death. It is not talking about your physical death. Do you know the death rate's 100%? If Jesus doesn't come back, 100% of people that are born will die. The death rate's 100%. What this is talking about, the Bible says it's appointed for man once to die, and then his judgment. On the day you die, God's going to ask you one question. Are you perfect? Are you perfect? You're going to say, no, I'm not perfect. I, I, I've sinned. That's what the verse said. I've sinned. Because you've sinned, you've earned your punishment. It is death. The book of Revelation, the verses I was talking about, is talking about the second death. On that day, because of your sin, you know what? A holy God can have no part of a sinful man. And he will cast you away into the, the judgment of hell that you earned for yourself. What kind of loving God is that? It's a God that stands in equal justice. You earned it. Wasn't your environment, wasn't your parents. You earned it. Because you earned it, you'll spend eternity in hell. The Bible calls that the second death. First verse says we're all sinners. Second verse says the payment for sin is death. But look where it starts to turn. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus the Lord. Probably the, ne the next verse is probably my favorite verse explaining the gospel. John 3, 16 is one of them, but, but Romans 5, 8 says this. But God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now here's the good news of the gospel. 
God loves you. He's always loved you. He doesn't love you more today because of what you've done and what you've quit doing. He doesn't love you any less because of what you're doing at this time. God loves you. Let me tell you something. I don't understand that. Uh, somebody crosses me three or four times. You know what? I've had all that person I want. I, you know what? That's a hard person to love. I rejected him. I forgot about him. I went my own way. And the Bible says his love is eternal, everlasting, doesn't have an end. God loves you. How does he show how much he loves you? The Bible says we're all sinners. The Bible says the payment for sin is death. God loves you so much. This is what John 3, 16 was trying to tell us. He sends his son. That while you were yet a sinner, he went and he died for you. That's what we believe. That's, that's, that's the hope of the gospel. I had a punishment earned. Jesus came. He lived a life without sin. Because he lives a life without sin, he's able to offer his life in my place. Now, why is it a big deal he doesn't sin? Because if he'd have sinned, he'd have to go pay his own penalty. He doesn't sin, so he's able to exchange himself in the payment for my sin. That's what happens at Calvary. A lot of people say, well, I know about the cross. I've heard about the cross. I've got a cross in my house. I've got a, a cross necklace. That's what the cross was about. Jesus, without sin, goes to the cross and he dies. And he pays your penalty. He pays my penalty that we might be saved, that we might be forgiven. Something I'd like to point out in that verse says this. While we were yet sinners. Now, I'll just tell you, I think, and a bunch of you go to different churches here I think maybe this is the, probably the worst thing the church has ever done is, is, is make people believe you have to do something in order for God to love you enough to come and die on a cross for you. You know, if you'll quit cussing and if you'll quit doing this and if you'll clean up these things, uh, somebody the other day was coming and saying, well, you got to talk about this. You know what? I know about sin. I know the penalty for sin. My Savior died for it. But you know what the Bible says? Why you were yet a sinner. When you were an enemy of God opposed to him, he came and he died on a cross for you. That's what love looks like. Why you were yet a sinner. I want to tell you something. Our churches would look a lot different if we said, you know what? Sinners are welcome here. You know what? People that needed forgiveness. We have a Savior and we're going to preach Him here. You know what? You're not going to be condemned. Yes, we're not going to live in a lifestyle of sin, but forgiveness for sin comes to our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the message of the church. So, we're all sinners. Romans 3.23, the payment for sin is death. But the good news of the gospel is, Jesus came. He paid your death, paid my penalty that we might be forgiven. I think a lot of us know that. I think a bunch of you are not surprised to hear that message today. But you know what? That's not what it means to be saved. You know what? There's a lot of folks, the demons know this story. Uh, some atheists know this story. A lot, of, a lot of folks grew up singing their grandma's hymns in church. They know this story. What it means to be saved is this. Listen to Romans 10, 9 and 10, 13. That if you confess with your mouth, not mine, not your grandmother's, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now what those verses mean is this. There has to be a day when you understand how terrible your sin is. When you understand how vile and wicked your sin is, that it earned you a punishment, death, separation from God for eternity. And confronted with the terribleness of your sin, you look to Christ as the solution for your sin. The Bible says when you do that, because of the faith in your heart, because of the belief in your heart, that's how we're saved, you'll profess it with your mouth. In the time that this was written, you would never profess something you didn't believe in your heart. 
They had, a, they had an oral tradition, a verbal tradition. So they wouldn't go around saying things they didn't mean. The belief of their heart came out of the words of their mouth. Jesus says here, you know what? It's, you want to be saved? You want to be in a right relationship with God? You want to have peace that the world can't give to you? In fact, the world pulls out from under you? There has to be a day that you understand when I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. Just like all these other guys. And you know what? I know that I've earned a punishment. It's death. Separation from God for all eternity. But I also understand God loved me so much. He sent his only begotten son. He died on a cross, lived a perfect life, died on a cross in my place that I might be forgiven. And the Bible says, you know what? If I'll receive that by faith, if I'll put all my eggs in that basket, if I'll believe that upon faith, you will be saved. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, I think if that was explained that clearly, a whole lot of people say, that's a no-brainer. In fact, I've, I've met very few people that when that was explained say, no, you keep it. I don't want that. That's what we have offered to us in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's the question for you today. Are you saved? Are you saved? Has there been a day that you made this personal for you? Are you saved? I'm going to tell you this. A couple of y'all may say, what well, I'm saved. And I'm sure of it. And I have that peace. Praise God for that. A whole bunch here may say, well, I'm not sure. Some of you may say, no, absolutely not. I've never done that. I've never really understood that. The answer is this. You tell God, you know what, I'm sorry for my sin. You know what, you God, give me the power to repent and to turn from it. And the best I know how, I'm going to follow Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. We do that in prayer. There's folks today say, well, you don't do that in a prayer. And there's, there's no superstitious prayer like that in the Bible. I want to tell you, I tell God, well, anything I tell him, I tell him in prayer. In prayer, I tell him, what well, I'm a sinner and I'm sorry. Forgive me. Come into my heart and save me. The Bible says upon that day, it is sure. It is settled. It is done. You are forgiven. You have a new start. You're restored. The peace of God comes to you through Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. If you're not saved, why in the world wouldn't you settle it today? Are you saved? I'm actually going to lead us in that prayer. I'm going to ask that you bow your head and close your eyes. And I'm going to lead us in that prayer. It has to be not my prayer, but your prayer. But maybe the words of your heart would just come out as you agree in prayer. Dear Father, we come today and we just tell you we're sinners. We act like we're not. We act like somebody's worse than us. We act like we're pulling it off. We've got it together maybe. But you know, I am a sinner. We are sinners. And I know you can't stand sin. I know that my sin made me an enemy of yours. I also know the cost for you to repair and to fix and to, to, to forgive me of my sin problem. It was your son, Jesus. Today I come and I ask that you come into my heart and save me, that you'd forgive me of my sin, that you'd give me the power to repent and to turn and to leave it, that I would truly follow you as my Lord and I tell you, my God, I love you. And I put my faith in you. I thank you for salvation through my Lord Jesus Christ. I pray this, thanking you. It wasn't dependent upon me. It wasn't dependent upon me fixing things up, but it was the grace of God through Jesus Christ. I praise you for that, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask if you keep your heads bowed for just a second. I'm going to do something. If today you're here, and you actually prayed that prayer today, and you meant it, for the first time. You understood it for the first time. And like I said, you may, have, you may have heard this. You may have done it sometime in the past. Today may be the first time you've ever heard this and made, it made sense. 
If you actually prayed that prayer today and you meant it, I'm going to ask that you'd raise your hand. No one's going to look around. I want to pray for you. If you prayed that prayer today and you actually meant it, God, God led you today and you've put your faith in Christ. Amen. If you'd raise your hand, just simply raise it up and put it back down. I'm going to pray for you. Amen. Let me pray for y'all. During Father, we come and you saw the hands that went up. And I believe it's, it's really as, as profound as that, but I also believe it's as simple as that. Our hope is in you alone, in Christ. I pray for these men that today have made professions of faith. I pray that you'd bless them. I pray that you'd lead them. I pray that you'd strengthen them, that you'd encourage them. I pray the Spirit of God I know is already living inside them. That's what you said, Ephesians 1.13. I pray that they would stand and they would grow in your word, that they find a church that would surround them and encourage them. I'm thankful for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Bless these men, and I, and I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me tell you if, you, if you're here and you prayed that prayer and you raised your hand, my encouragement to you is to find a church, tell a pastor, hey, I, I made a decision. Let them know. You're going to need people to encourage you and to walk with you. Uh, that's why he puts us in the church. You make an individual decision, he puts you in a community to encourage you in that decision. If you're here and you prayed that prayer and you didn't raise your hand, but you know that that was a real decision for you, you tell, you tell your pastor, you, you find somebody and you tell them, hey, I, I prayed that prayer and I today put my faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you came in and it was already settled, praise God. Go find somebody else and tell them the same thing. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, I'll lead us in a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. During Father, we come. We're thankful for you. I'm thankful that there's hope not dependent upon me. I'm thankful there's peace not dependent upon this world. I'm thankful that because of your grace, you're willing to forgive the sorriness of, of my vile sin. And I'm thankful for the cross of Calvary. I pray for men today that heard the good news of Jesus. Pray for those that made decisions today. Bless them, lead them. Pray for some that maybe heard this and they're processing it. I pray that in the, in the preaching of your word and the, the drawing of your spirit that they would put their faith in Christ. Pray for men here today that have it settled. Help us to walk out of here, not like some downtrodden person looking for hope, but a person walking in Jesus Christ. Let us point others to you as well. We come today and we tell you, Apart from you, we have nothing that's any good. Apart from you, we're destined and condemned in our sin, destined to hell. But I'm thankful for you and your love and your grace. Bless these men in this room. Lead these men in this room. And I, I pray that in this, in this room today that maybe a revival would break out of men thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ, willing to share it with others. We love you. We thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.